0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. There's an odd phenomenon going on in the world right now, where if you go out and you ask a bunch of young adults, people who are around marrying age or so, if they want to have children, they'll tell you no. And when you ask them why, they'll tell you that they just could not possibly bring children into a world like this. And when you ask them what, exactly what kind of world you're dealing with, what kind of world don't you want to bring children into, they'll tell you, well, a world where no one is taking climate change seriously and where the planet will be on fire by the time they're going to kindergarten, a world that is filled with all sorts of political instability and cruelty and hardship. And the odd thing is you can present them with a mountain of evidence that things are not actually as bad as they think, you can show them that the same people predicting that the world's gonna be on fire in two years have been predicting the world's gonna be on fire in two years for about 400 years now. It won't make a difference. And you can show them how in countless ways, we are infinitely better off now than human beings have ever been at any time in history. There's no greater time in the world to bring a child into this world. We are wealthier, more well-fed, we are healthier just countless ways. And yet, if you present them with this information, They're not relieved. They just get angry at you. They get angry that you don't share their dread and their pessimism about the state of the world. So what's actually going on here is not that people are overly pessimistic. It's not that they lack, it's not just that they lack hope, it's that they hate hope. They despise it. They see it as something sinful, and then the sort of flip side of that coin is that they see despair as something righteous. By despairing, they're being honest about the state of the world, by resigning themselves to the fact that it's better to just watch Netflix alone at night rather than tucking your children into bed. They have accepted the greater reality, they are pure, they are holy, they are honest. A very odd thing indeed for the world to look out at this world of, look at all the misery and the sorrow and suffering, and to despise hope, but to worship despair. You see this in countless ways in our world today. I'm sure you've probably all noticed. In recent years, it's just gotten so much harder to talk to people about political differences, cultural differences, Because very often when you talk with people about that, the kind of rules that they establish for having the conversation are you have to agree that this is the end of civilization as we know it. Every political battle that doesn't go your way is is a mushroom cloud on the horizon. Every politician that you don't like is literally Hitler. And when you try to explain, actually things are not really all that bad, there've probably been worse times in our country in terms of division, once again they just get angry. They don't want to be wrong about the world being miserable and awful. They look out and they see death and rot and they think I might as well just succumb to that. And if I succumb to that, that makes me a good person and a righteous person. We've seen in in just a few recent years, we've seen this strange rise in our culture worshiping transgenderism. And in particular, we've seen a, a big rise of this amongst kids, uh, teenage girls especially. If you, if you are one of these parents who uh, foolishly, but perhaps with well, good intentions, takes your kid to one of these gender clinics, one of the things that they will tell you and why it is that if your son believes he's a girl, you have to now treat him as a girl, they'll tell you you can either have a dead son or an alive daughter. Your son, this child is going to commit suicide if you don't affirm him. Well, what is that mindset? It's an absolutely hopeless mindset. It's a mindset of despair. A mindset that says this sense of feeling out of place in the world is never going to leave me. It's never going to stop pounding me. I'm never going to be able to escape it. And the only way I can manage to get through life is if everyone around me just plays along to make it as least miserable. As possible. Why people look out at the world and they can't bring themselves to forgive those who have sinned against them. Can't bring themselves to show any mercy. Why not? Because they're worshipping their despair. Because they look at their anger and they say, this is all that I have. And if, God, if there's some God who wants me to hand this anger over, I'm not going to get anything back in place, so I just lower myself for someone to hurt me again, and then I don't have anything. So I have to hold on to it. I have to just endure this world of sorrow, and death, and darkness. I have to cling to my despair. How have things gotten like this? How is the world so utterly hopeless? Well, there are perhaps many answers to that question, But a big answer to that question is that salt has lost its saltiness. We have hidden our light under a bushel. So in our gospel text for this morning, Jesus tells us that we are going to be salt and light to the world. He tells us that our good works are going to bring the lost to the faith, That unbelievers will see us and they will glorify God, and the way in which they will want to know who God is, is through our good works being like salt and light to them. Now what Jesus means by light is pretty obvious, right? So this world is lost in sin and in darkness, that because of our sin, we cannot see who God is. We can't know where he is. We don't know up from down. We don't know, as Jesus will describe it in the scriptures, the things that make for peace. We cannot find the face of God in the darkness. And so, through our good works, Jesus Christ will show who he is, his mercy, his love, and salvation, and he'll illuminate the world. He will bless people to see the face of God. What does Jesus mean by salt? Salt. Well, here when Jesus talks about salt, he's not so much talking about salt as a spice, but as a preservative. So back in the days before refrigerators, one of the ways that you would preserve meat was you'd salt it. That would delay the process of that meat decaying and becoming infested by worms. So here Jesus is telling us that this world of sin is decomposing, it's falling apart, it's being devoured by maggots. But he will give us his word of salvation and through us, the lost of this world will see that this world of sorrow and despair is not the way that things actually are. That's what Jesus is telling us when we are to be salt and light to the world. He's commanding us to hope, to recognize that when we look out at this world and it seems like the world is engulfed in darkness and being devoured by maggots and rot, that that's not actually the way things are that Christ has indeed won the victory. And yet, very often, the reason the world despairs is because we think like the world. We talk like the world. We destroy our own saltiness, and and we hide our light. Think about how many people in this world you've talked to about politics, right? How many people are there in this world who are infinitely more acquainted with how much you hate Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or Donald Trump, whoever it might be, how much more you hate them than they are acquainted with how much you love Christ? What's the word count in your life for the number of times you've condemned people in positions of power over you, but you haven't actually spoken words of praise to the king of kings who rules everyone? People lost in darkness, we hide our light. How many people are there in this world who are far more acquainted with who your enemies are, with who the people are that you don't like? How many people are there in this world, how many groups of friends are there who know they can't invite you and the same other group of people over because you don't get along? They know that very well. How many people do they know that you've reconciled with in your life? however. How many times have you sat down and talked to them about the people that you were once at odds with, but through Christ you were made one again? How often do we get stirred up into this world of despair and tell people that indeed in everything that we say and do, there is no hope. There's no reason to expect things to go differently, so you might as well try to enjoy the ride as much as you can before everything falls apart repent. You were made to be salt and light. Christ has called you to cling to hope. So use it. Cling to it. Share it. Is the world a mess? Well, of course it is. Are there countless things in this world that are not the way they should be? Absolutely. When you look out at the world, are there plenty of things that you see that scream of rot and death and destruction and darkness? Of course. But remember the order of words that God speaks in Genesis chapter 3 when you feel that sorrow come upon you. So if you look back at Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fall into sin, God gives Adam and Eve each a curse. He tells Adam that he's going to have to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow, that the earth is going to be cursed on account of him. Tells Eve that she's going to experience pain in childbirth and that her desire shall be for her husband and he shall rule over her. These are the words of curse that God speaks. But before he speaks those words of condemnation, he speaks to someone else immediately after Adam and Eve fallen to sin, God speaks to the serpent. And he says to the serpent, who brought death and rot and darkness into this world, that the offspring of the woman is going to crush his head even as he strikes that offspring's heel. Here in this moment, God is giving the very first prophecy of the cross. And he speaks this before He speaks those words of judgment to Adam and Eve. Why is this important? What does this mean? It means that there has never once, not for a second, not for a nanosecond in the entire history of humanity, has there ever been a moment when you were without hope, when you needed to be without hope. There has never been a moment where the sorrows and the hardships of this world were there, but the promise and the mercy and the salvation of God weren't. The light of Christ has always been there to scatter the darkness. The salt of Christ has always been there to preserve you and heal you. So once you were maggot-filled and rotten with sin, But then Jesus took your place in the jaws of death, and he made you his own. He forgave everything about you that was wicked and filthy and putrescent. All of your despair, all of your hopeless idolatry, he destroyed it all. In that great and glorious moment when he breathed his last, in that moment when you were lost in darkness, Entirely unable to see the face of God, Jesus breathed his righteousness upon you and showed you the face of your Father in heaven. There, in that moment, Jesus drove away the maggots and the darkness with the blood that poured out from his veins, the blood that forgave you, saved you, and placed you into the hands of God. With his cross, and empty tomb, Jesus Christ has cast away the rot and the darkness, and he has cast them away forever. And in that same death and resurrection, Jesus didn't just heal you. He healed the entire world. As he crushed the head of the serpent, Jesus crushed every ounce of the devil's power. With that lifeless beast twitching beneath his crucified foot, Jesus took away everything from him. Every atom of this universe is now his, and nothing will ever change that. Just as Adam brought his curse to all the world through his sin, Jesus Christ brought salvation. He brought salt and light to all of the world with his act of righteousness. So Jesus has done what he said from the beginning he would do. And he's also going to do what he has said he will do through you. In our text for today, Jesus doesn't tell us that we should be salt and light, that we must be salt and light, He tells us that we are. It's a declared reality. He is going to bring the lost into His family through your faith, through your faithful proclamation, through your good works. Just as He has ensured that no one will snatch you out of the Father's hand, He has given you everything. He has conquered all of your enemies and clothed you in his victory and given all of those in the world the right to receive this. Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. He will dry every tear from your eye and welcome you into his eternal kingdom. This will happen. There's nothing that can stop it from happening for you and for those who belong to him. And on account of this, no earthly sorrow, no struggle. No heartbreak has the right to rob you of your hope. So this is what we should confess to our neighbors. And this is the great beauty of being a Christian, is that we don't have to argue about the particulars and the politics of things. We just get to proclaim the truth. So look, if you have someone who says he doesn't want to bring a child into this world of suffering because the world's just going to end tomorrow, The reality is is that he wasn't convinced by the evidence in the first place, so he's not going to change his mind based on the evidence. There's the old saying, you can't reason someone out of something they weren't reasoned into in the first place. But as a Christian, you don't have to. I don't have to convince someone that the world is not going to explode uh, with flames tomorrow. All I need to do is proclaim the truth, which is that Christ will stand as king above all, no matter what happens. So even if it were true that you only have one day in this world to hold your child in your arms before the flames and the, water and the floods and all of these things happen, even if that's true, bring your child to the font, bring your child to the waters of baptism, and that one day on earth will become infinity days in the kingdom of God. Infinity days where you can gather with that child that God gave to you around the throne of the Lamb forever singing the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light and ripped you out of this world of sorrow and suffering and death. When people are convinced that the latest political struggle is the end of the world, you don't even have to convince them that it's not, even though it's probably not. The president's probably not literally Hitler. The last president's probably not literally Hitler. The next president's probably not literally Hitler. But the reality is, even if they are, even if they are literally Hitler, well, what happened to the actual literal Hitler? He's dead and buried, and gone, and his power is vanquished, and Christ our Lord stands victorious over his ashes, just as he does the ashes of the empire of Caesar, of Pharaoh, of Jezebel, and everyone who has set himself up as an enemy of God. So even if we are ruled by the most wicked men on earth, We're not ruled by the most wicked men on earth because we are truly only ruled by Jesus Christ our Lord, the one who will stand when every other kingdom on earth has melted, just as has always been the case. So there's no reason to despair and every reason to hope. When you look at people who are grieved and torn down and ripped to pieces because they can't find a single corner of this world where they can escape sorrow or suffering or shame or heartbreak, the great thing about being a Christian, about being a child of hope, is that you don't have to tell them how to find the secret place where they can escape these things. Okay, so there's no corner of this world where you can escape your sorrow and your grief and your heartbreak. But there's also no corner of this world where your sorrow and your grief and your heartbreak can escape Christ because he owns every corner of this world, every cell in creation, every atom in existence belongs to the Savior who gave up everything to make you and the world his very own. So, everything, everywhere condemnation is found. Christ's forgiveness is found in even greater measure. This is what we ought to confess to our neighbors, our children, our sons and daughters, through our words and our deeds. In everything we say and do, show your neighbor that despair does not make you righteous. Jesus does. Show your neighbor that hope is not a crutch for the weak. Hope is not a tool of the distracted. Hope is not a crutch for those who have nothing else to rely on or who are too weak to admit that the world is the worst place imaginable. Rather, hope is a club of strength that God blesses us to use to bludgeon our sorrows to death every day. Hope is a sword that the Christian gets to pierce into the heart of Satan in every moment of his life. So pierce the beast, be salt and light to the world. Make a good confession in everything you say and do, and in his time and according to his will, God will give hope to the lost. He will add them to his kingdom. He will rescue them from the rot and the darkness, just as he's done for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.